I want to deliver something to you. To be quite honestly with you, I'm very troubled in my spirit. Um, about some things that the Lord's been speaking to me about this community and, and this house and our personal lives and what it takes to approach Him in the manner that the track that we're on, the journey that we're on, where He wants us to go. Um, I was riding in my truck Thursday and I had another one of those experiences. I don't know what they're called. But I'm riding by this predominant church. And this is not a, a derogatory comment toward them. This is just what the Lord showed me. And he'll have to, he's the one that backs stuff like that up, not me. But I was riding by the church and it was like for a moment I could see into the houses. And like right into all the houses that were around. And it was like the Lord was showing me that in the houses and even in the churches. Because it wasn't just about that church. It was like we have these these fixtures and these insignias of holiness and we have this presentation but the Lord spoke to me and he said this community doesn't know me and it's, it really I mean it, it frightened me for a moment because you, you know when you're in the presence of the Lord and you know God comes in and sets down it's not always just a joyful thing sometimes it's a reverential fear it's it's like good god you know god is talking to me this is serious and the lord said uh, you know this community doesn't know me and i said what are you talking about and he he started talking to me about how his heart was grieved because all the communities in the southeast they they predominantly in the southeast they have this form of godliness but we've cultivated how many of you read chris valton's post last week about christian christianity and the word christian i mean he can just articulate it so much better than me but it was it was in line with what the lord was speaking to me and god was saying that what we see in what's called christians now has really nothing to do with him because there's no standard anymore. There's no holiness. There's no purity. There's no commitment. There's, there's not a, a commitment to the details of what it takes to be in relationship with the Lord. And we've, we've lost focus. And everybody's afraid and and nobody's setting themselves apart. Sanctification, I know that's a bad word in a lot of people's minds, but it's a command. It's not, and it's not just wearing jeans versus wearing shorts in the house of God. That's not it. It's you purifying yourself in your heart. It's you making a choice to separate yourself. And the Lord showed me that a lot of opposition that we face, even in this house, has nothing to do with the enemy. It's him. Because he's not going to allow us to come further into that presence like we are. You're not going to come into the Holy of Holies any way you choose to come. I mean, it, now, we're not talking about at the moment of repentance and salvation. We're talking about a lifestyle. 
We're talking about somebody growing in favor with God. The Bible says that Jesus grew in favor with God. If he had to do that, why do you think that you don't have to do that? And to do that, he had to live a lifestyle a certain way to protect that. And that God is a, is a, he's a relational God. He's not going to just overlook your dysfunction and your tendencies and your behavior. He's not going to do that for me or you or anybody else. If the only time that we truly seek him is in the middle of our dysfunction, he'll leave you there. If you, in moments of peace and moments of, of prosperity and freedom, don't seek him, he'll leave you in the moments of depravity so that you could know a relation. And some of the things that we, we experience, that church has trained us, that we think excitement equals anointing, and that anointing has something to do with volume, and that response of the people have something to do with what God's doing in the room. And the, the number of people in the house is representative of a move of God. It's not. It's not representative of a genuine move of God. Revivals never started. Never. You can't show me one revival that started in a large congregation. They all start in backroom prayer services. They all start on streets. They all start with small groups who get a burning and a desire to lay aside everything, to totally lay aside everything and pursue nothing but him. Me and Angela was talking about this on the way in this morning. We were talking about our lives and things that we both feel convicted about in our personal lives and in our marriage that we can't allow in our marriage and that we can't, we can't participate. You know, because I promise you, as you come closer to him, he's going to deal with you more and more and more. And did you know that just because you're a believer doesn't mean your prayers are going to be answered? That the Bible says that there's proper behavior and that if you don't follow that proper behavior, it will hinder your prayers. 1 Peter chapter 3. He tells women how to appropriately connect with their husbands and he tells husbands how to appropriately treat their wives. And then he says, so that your prayers aren't hindered. Verse 7. So in, with, if you apply the theory of reciprocity to that truth, if I, if I do a certain thing, I have a promise, then you have an, an opposite promise if you don't do those things. So the opposition that we face in our prayer life may have nothing to do with the enemy, nothing to do but with our deliberate disobedience to the way God says things has to be. He's God. I don't make the rules. You don't get to make the rules. Kenneth Hagin don't get to make the rules. Nobody gets to make the rules but God. He's the one that determines the path. And he's given us that path. And he speaks a continual path. In Genesis chapter 18, y'all saw me put this on, uh, on Facebook this week. It's the infamous story that everybody's talking about. Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Oh, we live in the days of Sodom. Let me, let me promise you, it, 
Only people who have never studied the Bible can say that. This civilization is nowhere close to the civilization in Ephesus. Nowhere close. Do you realize there were no churches in Ephesus <laughs> when Christ came? There was no such thing as a Christian church. Some historians' account of Ephesus is that it was the most demonized city to ever exist. And so Paul goes in with zero backing, so to speak, no network of churches to back him up. He goes into one of the most demonized cities that there are, and he begins to preach a gospel that's never been heard, that nobody knows about, to people that care nothing about his God and his Christ. And he goes in and completely and totally changes the culture. And in Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham contends with God. That shows us a revelation of how God wants to interact with you in the things that involve the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And so Abraham says, surely you would not slay the righteous with the unrighteous. Surely you wouldn't treat your people the same as you would the people who are disobedient to you. And God says, you know the story, 50 40, 30, I mean, counting down, man. God's like, hey, I'll give you that. Give me 20. I won't destroy it. Abraham finally gets down. And I don't know why they quit at 10. Maybe Abraham sensed he was pushing his luck there. But finally they settle on 10. God says, for 10 righteous people in the city, I will not destroy it. If there had been 10 righteous, that story wouldn't be in the Bible other than the conversion and revival that happened in the city. So will America be destroyed because of the sins of the people or because there can be none righteous found? Is it on them or is it on us? Who has the truth? But you see, we want to befriend the, the world. We want to become like them so that maybe we can touch them. But when we become like them, all we have to touch them with is them. All we can do is reproduce ourselves. There has to be a point to where we involve ourselves in this thing called sanctification, a setting apart, a being different. There has to be some form of holiness and maturity. The word of God says, be you therefore holy, even as your God is holy. Now you can say that word holy means mature. Okay, let's let it mean mature. Does that mean God's going to continually contend with your misbehavior and your refusal to mature? I see it constantly in the earth. And, and you know my background, but I see people who scream and shout and speak in tongues and can't live a holy life. Think right now, how many people truly, truly, you would truly emulate your life? There's not many. There's not many examples of people that I would truly say, as Paul said, Follow me that I will truly follow their example. There's not many. 
the Lord was showing me this, was unstable. The Bible says that a double-minded individual is unstable in all their ways. Why would they ever think that they could receive anything from God? That's scripture. It's in there. A double-minded person. What is a double-minded person? Anybody? You can, we can, you can respond. Huh? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. What makes a hypocrite? To confess something, but have a lifestyle that's opposite or a paradox to what you confess. Isaiah prophesied of the people, and Jesus said, you are those people when he was on the earth. He said, Isaiah did well to prophesy about you, because you're a people that worship me with your lips and with your speech, but your heart is far from me. And I really feel like there's a divine fatherness in God right now saying, I will not allow you to stay in that stage any longer. That I will not receive the words of your lips any longer when your heart is not sanctified. I won't receive your worship. I won't receive your praise. I won't receive your prayers. Because you're prideful in your heart. I won't receive your prayers and your worship because you're not contrite and broken in your spirit. I won't receive from you any longer out of your context and on your parameters and with your agenda. I won't, I won't allow you to live in sin and then try to approach me. Now, we're, talk, we're not talking about repentance because if you come in a repentant heart, in a contrite heart, and you come in humility, the door is always open. But he doesn't promise to accept you in the middle of your pride. He doesn't promise to, to bring you in and coddle your dysfunction. He doesn't promise to, to ignore your recipe for living hope. And see, this is where the church missed it. We should have been past this a long time. This was the revelation that the church, that God was giving the church generations ago on holiness. He was wanting to lay a foundation of holiness. But they, like we did, with everything that humans touch, we get it wrong. We thought it had something to do with something that somebody had on their body. But even in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, when he's talking to the ladies about how they adorn themselves, he's talking about the condition of your heart. He's saying don't find value in the fact that you can pure, uh, make your outer self look good if you're rotten on the inside. He wasn't saying that you can't look nice. He was just saying don't let that be your identity. That you have to be a peaceable person. A person that lives in peace. And he was telling men how to treat their husbands. And he said, if you don't get this right, your prayers won't be hindered. And the enemy doesn't have to do anything. Matter of fact, when I, I believe with the majority of Christians, the enemy, the best thing he can do for himself is just get out of the way. He's already sown all he needs to sow in you. And he'll just leave you alone and let you destroy yourself. And the thing is, you know, if you, if you talk about 
these types of issues, then people don't want to hear it. They want I mean, think about this. We talk about, I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to be more like you. And that's a hard cry. But do you? Would he do everything you do during the day? Would he communicate with Father the way you do? Would he pour over scripture the way you do? Would he watch the television programs that you watch? Would he listen to the music that you listen to? Would he treat others the way that you treat others? Would he see your wife the way you see her? Would he treat her the way you treat her? Would he treat your husband the way you treat your husband? Then don't pop off. And he, I don't want to hear all that hot air about how we want to be like him when we're not willing to be like him. And I just feel like he's getting tired of hearing his people who carry his name say bullcrap. When he knows we don't need it. I mean, he's dealt with me about this. He said, you don't get up when I call sometimes. You don't turn the the TV off when I say to come into your study sometimes. You don't fast when I tell you to fast sometimes. And until you begin to obey every single thing I tell you, you're not going any further. I love you enough to leave you there until you want it. So if you like where you are, you have my permission to stay there. But I won't bring you any further. I put that responsibility on you. I've given you heaven and earth at your disposal. I've laid it at your feet through the precious blood of my own child. And how dare you? How dare you treat that with such disrespect? How dare you not understand the gravity of that blood that we trample on with our tendencies and dysfunctions in what appeases us.
verse, First uh, Thessalonians five. If you want to go there with me. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. Warn those who are disruptive. If I see a, a, a sense of lethargy and idleness in the house, I have a responsibility to urge you. Come closer. Come out of that stagnant lifestyle and come closer. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Reject every kind of evil. Where can evil be found? It can be found anywhere. I'm not telling you to throw the television out in the yard. This is where we got it wrong. We thought that even in that, that that was some form of holiness where we didn't purify what's in here. You can take care of all the external elements that you want. The issue is you. And you can't be holy and you continue to consume what you're consuming. You can't be physically fit, and I am not, by eating hamburger heaven every day. Sorry. I love some hamburger heaven. You may have to get on some, some nutrients, some physical exercise to be healthy. And he says, reject every kind of evil. You may need some plexus. I see you plexus people about to shout out of your seat out there. I'll put a plug in for you. You may need to get on that pink drink. Guys, the word of God is clear. Reject every kind of evil. I want to drop this in, in your spirit right here. The word reject means to abstain from all appearance, every kind. The appearance means every figure, every shape, every form of every kind. He didn't even say evil. He said the appearance of it. So if he's going to address the very visible appearance of evil, we know that evil itself is off limits. What is evil? Drinking, smoking, dope, cheating, fornicating. There are 11, just in my quick study, this wasn't an exhaustive study, but there are 11 different words in the New Testament for evil. 
had no idea there were that many. But this particular one says, hurtful in influence or effect. Anything that hurts or can influence you or affect you in a negative way. Bible says abstain from it. And I can promise you, you can say that it doesn't, but all of the elements that affect your five senses, what you allow to come into you, will affect you. It will affect you. It means diseased by outside impressions or influences. Diseased by outside influences or impressions. Abstain from anything that could negatively affect you because the Bible compares it to a disease. I mean, I think we have a responsibility, body, soul, and spirit, but right now he's talking about this evil that affects your spirit. Morally accountable, very poor condition as a result of neglect. Very poor condition as a result of neglect. You know, worship isn't something that we walk in here and we try to get ready for. If that's the case, that's your number one problem. Worship is something you should never take off. If you're having to get into a worship mode or if you're like Jen Johnson was saying that, that she was aggravated one day and they had to get in the car and she had to get in the car with Bill and they had to go to this conference and she got in and, and she was upset because all of her kids were going crazy and doing crazy stuff and she was just being a mom. And the daddy, you know how crazy that gets. And she sat down in the car and kind of with sarcasm, she said, oh, mommy had off, worship had off. And so Bill just leaned over like I can just see him doing it. And he said, that's the problem. You should have never took the worship hat off. And he just leaned back over in his chair and put it around. She said he does it. He just zings you on one line. He one revelation and he just breaks everything that you just put up. That's the truth. It's not a hat that you put on and on. That's the problem with worship is that we don't understand it's a lifestyle. They worship me with their lips. They worship me with their words, but their hearts aren't worshiping me. This word evil means to neuter. Hmm. You know what evil does? It will affect your ability to reproduce. That's why you can't see maybe lasting fruit in your life. Because you've been neutered. You've been neutered by evil. It completely cuts off not only your ability to reproduce others, but reproduce God in you. The Holy Spirit is a what? A dynamo. What is a dynamo? A dynamometer? What do these things do? They reproduce current. They reproduce within themselves power. When the Holy Spirit comes in you and you have Him resident in you and you live a holy life, Holy Spirit is free to replicate and reproduce that power. But when you, on purpose even, take evil influences into your life, how do you think that dynamo is going to keep going? He's not. You've just neutered the Holy Spirit's ability to reproduce himself in you, and you can shout and scream all you want to. 
But until that is addressed, there's no dynamo. The dynamite ain't there. You say, well, I lay hands on the sick and see them recover. So do people who will be rejected and cast out of heaven. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not heal the sick in your name? Depart from me, I never knew. You workers of iniquity. What is that? What is that a revelation of? He's not interested in your performance or your works. He's interested in you. It's the primary goal of the Father. Relationship. Relationship with you. And he'll let your works fail. He'll let your fruit fall off the line. Why? Because you're not in a relationship with him. And he knows you and he knows that you think if you produce fruit, then you must be okay with God. No, you're not. Gifts don't impress me. When I see people operating gifts, that don't impress me. Until I've been around them long enough to discern their character. You could come in here and raise the dead, honestly, and not come back to church for six months. I'm not impressed with you. It's just me. You can raise the dead, and, and I can observe you in the community doing things that you're not supposed to do. I'm not impressed with you. I'm not after that. I'm not after signs and wonders, because the Bible says if I live correctly with God, signs and wonders follow me. I don't follow them, they follow me. But first, I have to believe. Believe what? That he is God. And that he is in charge. And that my life is surrendered to him. And that he makes the rules. And that he sets the standard that I must live by. I know this is tough. But fire always burns out in the impurities first. God's actually answering some of our prayers. Send the Bible fire. This is an answer to a prayer. And first, understand that purification will come to the house before it can ever reach a communion. And I don't know, I don't know what everybody in this house is involved in. I don't know what you're doing. I just know that we're doing things you shouldn't be doing. It, it could be pride. It could be arrogance. You could have a gossiping tongue. You could be a person of, of insecurity that loves to tear other people down. I don't know. All of those things are evil. All of those things will neuter Holy Spirit's ability to reproduce itself in you. And it'll also neuter your ability to reproduce sons and daughters. You can't have fathers and mothers without an ability to reproduce. And the Bible says if you don't abstain from evil which is any outside influence that would restrict your relationship with the Father, then you are neutering yourself. And the enemy's not doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. I'm not going to preach on, on this, uh, but, but I just want to drop it into your spirit because I've probably told you enough to chew on but I had a, a dream. I don't live by dreams, but I do, I do receive from my father everything that he wants to speak to me in a dream. And I've, I've shared this dream with you, and it's applicable to what I'm talking about this morning. Me and Paul were in, and I'm getting more and more revelation, but me and Paul were in this old, old church, and I understand what that's representative of. And we were sitting on the back pew, and, and I understand some implications to what that means. And then the, there was a younger minister in the front who was beginning to preach on kingdom. And there was an old lady with her hair in a bun, 
And y'all know, if you've been around Church of God, you know what I'm talking about. And she got up and began to rebuke the pastor. And I know what that was about. And then me and Paul immediately stood up, and we tried to intervene, but our, our words were constricted. And then eventually it was released, and we took care of the situation. But I, I, I experienced all of that, and I woke up out of a dream, and I could only remember one word, and it was Zadok. Now, honestly, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. So I'm like, this is probably going to be in the Bible. You know what I mean? So I, I look it up, and oh my gosh. I mean, there's so many scriptures. But in Ezekiel chapter 44 is the main emphasis. And I don't know if I'm going to preach that as a message. Lord, I'm going to live in that area. But the whole emphasis was there were priests, right? How many of you know that we've been made kings and priests? I don't know if we know that. Because we couldn't allow ourselves to do the things that we do if we really knew we were priests. If we got that metaphor. Okay? But we are priests. So Ezekiel 44 has a revelation to us. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 44, there were priests who went after the people and got sucked in to basically, I'm going to paraphrase here, doing life like the people. And then there were priests who kept themselves holy before the Lord and ministered unto the Lord. There were priests who started acting like integrating themselves with the people and then began to do as the people did. And there were priests that did not. They abstained from that and they kept themselves pure and ministered unto the Lord. In Ezekiel 44, God judges that. And he says, because they've done this, I'm going to allow them to work in the church. I'm paraphrasing again. He said, I'm not going to remove them from their work in the church. I'm going to let them work in the church, but they will only be able to be in contact with the people, never in contact with me. And then he says, the sons of Zadok, who have kept themselves pure, I will allow to come in and minister unto me at my table. So the people who chose to live like the other, the priest who chose to live like people were allowed always to minister to the people. You understand what I'm saying? That you can be in the church and you, as far as the people are concerned, you can be a great minister unto the people. But God said, you're not coming in to minister unto me. And so that was a word to me that your primary responsibility in this life is ministry unto God. But there's a standard that must be met in order for you to get that access. You're a believer and you can always be in the house and God will permit you to work in the house. God will, will permit some pastors to get in the pulpit this morning and preach a word to the people and have influence with the people, but he has no ability or right to come in and minister unto the Lord. Because his life emulates the people's life. Now all of a sudden, things that were wrong are now right. Now all of a sudden we're debating over one drink versus six drinks. Now all of a sudden we're debating over can we do this and not do this. Now we're debating over is it legal to watch this show because they show a little bit of nudity or watch this show because it's full on, you know, 
We're, we're, we're trying to dissect life to see if there's something we can get away with, just to be honest with you. Can I get away with this and still get to heaven? And God is saying, no, I'm not going to allow that. You might participate like that with the people, and you might go to heaven. I don't know. I'm not God. I can't judge that. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to be with our Father, is to go in with Him, sit at His table, read Ezekiel 44, and minister unto Him. That's what we want to do. What good is worship music for the people? If the presence of the Father doesn't come down and sat on it. Dude, I love, you know, 80s rock. I mean, I, I just, I like electric guitars and all that. But there's no godly anointing on that. So just because he energizes me emotionally, you know, if I'm downstairs working on something, you might do some welding or something, man, you might put that 80s rock on and it's like, you know, just getting with it, getting in there. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you put it on and you're working out. You want to, I don't know. You know, there's some music that I can listen to and there's some Holy Spirit says you cannot listen to. And some of it I've listened to despite him saying I can't listen to it. And before the week is out, because I submitted myself to that, I've got thoughts I shouldn't have. I hear curse words in my head that I shouldn't hear. I have a viewpoint of my relationship with my wife that I shouldn't have. I start thinking about things from the past. All because I didn't heed. There is an anointing on that. But it's not his anointing. It's been prayed over, but not in the way me and you want it. You can bury your head to that all you want to. I mean, you know. But the point in that matter is it's not, we don't want to just come in and do things, preach messages. You know, I, I've, been, I've been guilty of this, wanting to put together a great message that the people love. Just so people can say, man, amen, God's awesome. Woo! Of course, it never does that, does it? When you think that you've got a message that at this point the house is going to come down, it never comes down. Just crickets. <laughs> You're like, wow. You know? And then I've, I've ministered messages that I thought were just totally and completely disastrous and then changed somebody's life. What was the difference? Me. I wanted, to be, I wanted people to be excited because I needed that. I needed that affirmation. But it wasn't me that could change people.
by my confession. It should be. It should be. So this morning, I mean, I hope this don't upset you. I honestly, I, I can't handle that. I, I mean, I can't. I, I have no responsibility for that. Uh, God gives seed to the sower. The sower sows the seed, and it's on the person that has the soil. However, the condition of the soil their heart is is how they're going to see it. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm not responsible for that. I can't be responsible for it. I hope that you receive this word in the manner that was given, in love, in me trying to provoke you unto a deeper relationship with the Lord, trying to get you to look at your life. You can totally ignore what I said, but I promise you, you are closer to the enemy than you are to your God. I'm just going to say it. You can say there's only two ways to go. You will never in life set still. You're moving constantly. It's God ordained that things move. You're moving closer to something. You're moving closer to someone, some, some God, whether it be the wrong one or the right one. You are constantly moving. You're never staying straight on that narrow path unless you're doing what the Word says and what He says to you in Raymond. So you have that responsibility to take what I've said this morning and, uh, and do not leave this house and talk to somebody else about their issue. Because I'm not giving you this to arm yourself against your spouse. I'm telling you to look at your life. Every area of your life. I forgot what scripture it is, and I'm sorry. I may have it written down, and you guys may know it right off the bat. But the word of God says, sanctify your hearts. I may misquote this, so don't write this down. Just Google it, and you'll get the right translation. But it basically tells you to sanctify your heart, and that your body, soul, and spirit be preserved. Until the day the Lord comes back. Body, soul, and spirit. We have a responsibility to sanctify ourselves. Body, soul, and spirit. Did you find it? Can you read the actual scripture? Because I think I butchered that so bad. Sorry, put you on the spot. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit, soul, and body there's, there is a coming, right? Everybody in this house believes there's a second coming. We may have some differences on how that's going to manifest, but there's a second coming. And the word of God says, so that you may be blameless at that coming. Blameless. It didn't say that you should be 70% and 30%. That it's okay as long as you got 51% good and 49% bad. It says that you, the God of all creation, the God of Jesus Christ, our Father, sanctify you body, soul, and spirit. 